Chichen Itza. I think I'm saying that right. If you know uh, the uh, Mayan language, then maybe you can help me understand it. Uh, but Chichen Itza is an ancient Mayan city in the Yucatan state of Mexico. And it, uh, according to some people, shouldn't exist today. And the reason it shouldn't exist is because uh, a bunch of people were looking at, uh, I'm going to have to read it, the Mesoamerican Long Count Calendar. That's a long name for a calendar. And they, they said that since this calendar ended in uh, December 21, 2012, that that would be the end of the world. Some cataclysmic thing would happen, the world would be destroyed, and Chichen Itza, of course, would also be destroyed. I have no idea how they found December 21, 2012 in that. But apparently, some people are smart enough to know what it means. And, uh, and so they, they made this prediction. And, uh, well, Chichen Itza is still there, and so are you and I. It didn't happen, at least not yet. It's a beautiful place. I'd like to go visit. How about you? Now, <clears throat> there are people that look towards the end of time uh, and they, or towards the future, and they worry, what's going to happen? Like, for instance, the uh, group of Nobel Prize winners who can control what is known as the doomsday clock. Have you seen this illustration before? The doomsday clock is uh, something that was started in 1947 by the members of the Bulletin of the uh, Atomic Scientists Science and Security Board. The bulletin.org is, if you want to look at uh, the doomsday clock up and figure out all these details, the, dooms uh, the, the bulletin.org is the website to go to. But this Atomic Scientist, Science and Security Board looks at uh, the likelihood of nuclear war. And in 2007, they added uh, climate change and technology and how, how we mess with uh, genes and diseases and resistance of diseases that we're playing around with and all these things. And, they're, and they're, they're looking at the likelihood or the nearness of a cataclysmic event that's caused by humans. And in 2016, they said that it, we were three minutes to midnight, midnight being doomsday. And in 2018, they say that we're two minutes. I think it had something to do with Trump getting elected, but they wouldn't say that, so we'll see. Um, now, a lot of people look at the future and they worry. They are, they are doom and gloom about fu the future. And, and especially this idea of what's gonna happen to the human race. Uh, you think of the UN, uh, Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change and what they just released. Did you guys read that this morning? Anybody have a little bit of fear or did you just dismiss it and go, bah, they don't know anything? <laughs> what they said, if you didn't read it, was that by 2030, that's 12 years from now, is that math right? 12 years, yeah. By 2030, we will, at, at our current rate, um, even with the Paris Climate stuff, uh, agreement, um, we will reach the 1.5 degrees Celsius increase in global average temperature of the world um, over the pre-industrial age. And that 1.5 uh, degrees centigrade or Celsius is um, apparently some big deal and, and lots of cataclysmic worldwide impacts. Uh, millions of people will be killed and many, many more millions will be uh, refugees of climate change. This is the prediction of this group. Now, whether that's true or not, I, I, I can't tell you, but it definitely makes some people worried. 
looking into the future is something that most people don't have a lot of hope for. But I just want to tell you that the future, and especially the second coming of Jesus, what the Bible calls that great day of the Lord, it's one of the most hopeful things in all of the Bible. It's one of the most anticipated things in all of the Bible. And it's, it's not something we need to be doom and gloom and naysayers about. John 14, 1 through 3, Jesus gives this amazing promise to his disciples. He, he just told them that he's going somewhere. And here's how he says it. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go, for what reason? To prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. There's the promise. I'm going for a purpose to prepare a place. I'm coming back. And, and I'll receive you to myself, that where I am there, you may be also. This subject is so profoundly important that as Jeff mentioned earlier, the Bible refers to it as the blessed hope. In Titus 2, 11 through 13, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is not something we need to be worried about. It's something we should be excited about. Now, it's, if you look at uh, the number of times that the Bible talks about this event, whether it's the great day of the Lord or um, that day or the second coming or the um, blessed hope or whatever phrase the Bible uses to mention it, it ends up coming up about 2,500 times in all of the Bible. That's a lot. You know, there were, do you know how many prophecies there were roughly of Jesus' first coming? About 300. The Bible talks about the second coming a lot more than it talks about the first coming. Now, there's a lot of interesting things in the Bible that take careful study and consideration. Things that uh, some people might call problem text or challenging passages. The second coming is not a challenging passage. It is not difficult to understand. It's, it's pretty basic, pretty simple. And yet, there's a lot of confusion in our world today about it. Adam and Eve, just to go back a, a little ways, Adam and Eve looked forward to the coming of Jesus. In fact, it was so significant with Adam and Eve that when Eve had her first baby, the Bible says that she spoke, she, she exclaimed, I've gotten a man from the Lord, or in another translation, I've gotten a man, the Lord. She's like, this must be the Messiah. From the very beginning, she's thinking about the Messiah. And then you've got uh, the first book in the Bible that was ever written. Do you know what that book was? Yeah, I heard somebody say it, Job. Job is the oldest book in the Bible, and in that book, Job, he's describing some things, and, and you know, he's in a lot of pain, and he's just lost his children, he's just lost a lot of property, and, and he's, he's got a lot of sorrow. But then he makes this statement, I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at the last on the earth, and after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. He's looking to the future, and he's thinking about hope. Even though even if his flesh rots off of him, he's saying, I'm going to see God. One day, Christ will come back. This is the promise that the Bible gives us. 
Now, the Bible promises, Jesus says that, that He's going to take us to His home in heaven, and the Bible describes that home as having what kind of streets? Do you know the, the promise? Yeah, golden streets. I, I really couldn't, could care less what the streets are made of. I mean, it's not like gold's going to have the kind of value it has today. It's pretty. It's metal. It's something to walk on. I'd be happy with gravel. Well, at least I'd be happy with grass. How about that? Um, but but I, I really could care less as long as I get to spend time with Jesus in heaven. You know what I mean? It's, it's not about the gold. But, but I do love that God is going to take such attention to detail that even the streets are going to be beautiful. I think God cares about us. When Jesus returns, the Bible promises that there will be no more, no more of lots of things. There's going to be no more tornadoes tearing through trailer parks and destroying homes. Jesus will come back and He'll put an end to that kind of disaster. Uh, there's going to be no more starving children wandering as they go to bed at night where their next meal will come from or digging through the trash cans. There's going to be no more children going to school with guns and shooting up their classmates, filling our streets and our classrooms with blood. No more. No more violence. One day it'll be done. No more illness. No more disease. No more cancer or heart disease. No more diabetes or wheelchairs or crutches or glasses. No more. Jesus is going to come and He's going to deal with all of that. There's going to be no more broken homes, no more marriages falling apart, no more children crouching in the corner afraid of what their parents will do when their anger with each other moves beyond their marriage to their children. No more. There's going to be no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more suffering. Jesus is coming again. Is that a promise that you can get behind? I think, I think it's something to look forward to. Not, not the doom and gloom that some people think of. It's hopeful. Jesus is coming again. In Revelation 21, it says, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I love this promise. A while back in the Old Testament, God promises that He catches all of our tears and saves them up in a bottle. It's as though every tear matters to God, but now He wipes them away. He solves the problems that cause our tears. And, and it says that there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. There will be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. When is He coming back? That's really nice to have all those promises, but, but when is He coming back? Didn't Jesus say that He's going to be coming back soon, 2,000 years ago? I mean, if a day is as 1,000 years, it's maybe only been a couple days for Jesus, but it's been a long time for us. Uh, it's a good question. When is Jesus coming back? And, and you might ask me, when, when do you think Jesus is coming back? And I can tell you, Jesus is coming back soon. And you, you'd say, well, be more specific, please, Jason. And uh, I, I could say, well, I know Jesus is coming back very soon. There's a lot of people that have tried to make predictions. Um, you know, you've got the, the um, book back in the day. Do you remember the book, The 88 Reasons Why Jesus Could Come Back in 1988? Did you, anybody read that book? No? Okay. There was another one about that time, Why the Rapture Could Be in 1988. And, of course, that, that was, what, 30 years ago? Yeah, that, that didn't happen. Or there was uh, 1994. In fact, the book was titled 1994, question mark. Could Jesus come back? And then you have the prophecy of that one gentleman in uh, 2011. Jesus was going to come back in 2011. Nope, that didn't happen either. 
And uh, of course, 2012, the Mayan calendar, that didn't happen. Uh, honestly, we don't need to be in the business of setting dates. The question about when Jesus will come is not so much a question about time. It's a question about readiness. Some people call this event the rapture. The second coming is the rapture. And I, I'd be fine with that. There's, the Bible does not say that the, rap, the, the word rapture in it, but the word means to be taken up um, or to be caught up. And uh, that's something that's described in the Bible, so I'm, I'm happy to call it the rapture. Um, but, but the how of all this is still a question mark because there's a lot of different ideas about how this will take place. Before we talk about how, though, I need to, I need to give some context. Context is a good thing. A couple thousand years ago, Jesus came for the first time. And when Jesus came for the first time, the leaders at the time were talking about the, the intellectually advantaged, the spiritually mature, the Bible literate people of the time. They read all these prophecies about the second coming, and they applied them to the first coming. They're really good prophecies. They're prophecies of winning and victory and glory. And they wanted that to be the first coming of Christ. And uh, Jesus came, a baby, not what they expected. And, and he came and he healed people, not what they expected. He refused to be crowned king, also not what they expected. And he ended up dying on a cross. Confirmation in their minds, that was not the Messiah. And yet all those things were prophesied as his first coming. That was what he was supposed to do. Even the timing and the Bethlehem and the cross and the dates and everything was prophesied. They should have known better. And I'd like to suggest the same is happening today. We like to take the prophecies that maybe make sense to us, the intellectually advantaged, the biblically literate. I mean, just the fact that you're sitting here listening to this topic, that you have access to a Bible makes you among the privileged in the world right now. And we have an, an opportunity, but we also have maybe a disadvantage, you might say, because we have our, our mind filled with what we think should happen. Now, what the Bible says is most important, and applying that correctly is important. Let's not get caught up in the, the problems of interpretation that the Pharisees and the, the scribes and the Sadducees had back in Jesus' first coming. So, 2,500 times the Bible talks about the second coming, and uh, you know what the Bible also says? It says that most of us aren't going to be ready. It says that just like in uh, Jesus' first coming and just like in the time of Noah, not many will be saved. I, I don't mean that to be disheartening. It, it really should focus our attention more than anything. In Matthew 24, Jesus is saying, but as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of, Son of Man be. Now, all the earth, there's lots and lots of people on the earth in Noah's time, and in all the earth, only how many people got on the ark? Eight people. And it wasn't for lack of trying. Noah didn't just build an ark. It didn't take him 120 years to build an ark. It took him 120 years to try to convince people to get on the ark. I mean, yeah, he was probably building that whole time. I'm not saying it didn't take 120 years. I'm just saying that his focus was people as much as it was building. And, uh, and, and they didn't get on. They decided to reject it. They, they decided to say, there's no flood coming. 
And I think it would be fair to say that compared to the, the population of the earth, there's going to be comparatively few who say yes to Jesus and are ready for his soon return. And, and it's not because the Bible is hiding the event and, and, and trying to be quiet about it. It's because we're not paying as much attention as we should to what the Bible actually says. I don't think we need to make those mistakes that the Pharisees made 2,000 years ago. Do you? Let's pay attention. Let's see what the Bible is saying behind the scenes. And let's, let's explore it. Let's see what the promises are. And, uh, and the first thing I'd like to do is, is look at what it will be like. What's the Bible say about the second coming of Jesus? In Acts 1, 9 to 11, we get one of our first peaks at this story. And it's from heavenly messengers. Jesus has been talking and he's been preaching to his group of disciples. It's been, what, 40 days or so since his resurrection. And he's been hanging out with them and teaching them new things uh, this whole time. And, and as he's talking, Acts 1 records, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Keep those words in mind. Uh, the taken up one is kind of fun, but also cloud and sight. They're going to come up again. Verse 10, and while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which Jesus? Okay, the same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will also come in like manner, in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. In like manner. That's we're talking about the literal Jesus. He's coming back in the literal form, in the same way that, that we saw or that they saw him go back into heaven. Um, let, let's imagine, just by way of illustration, that you were seeing your relative off in the, uh, the, the airport. And uh, you remember back in the day, like before 9-11, when you could actually go to the gate? I was, I was glad that my first experience on a plane was in 1996. I was uh, 16, and my mom was able to walk me to the gate because I, I think I would have been a little uncertain what to do after I got through security nowadays when I was 16. I have no idea how these little kids fly alone without their parents. It doesn't make any sense to me, but, but they make it work. Um, but, but imagine that you're standing there at the gate, and you say goodbye, and they, they get on the plane, and, and you stand there, and you watch, and you know their plane. You see it taxiing out, and you see it take off, and you see it flying away, and it disappears into the clouds. And, uh, and you know that they're coming back. Hopefully, you know when they're coming back. Um, but whether you know or when or not, you, you know that they're coming back because they've told you that they would be coming back. And so when the date arrives, you go back to the airport, and, uh, and then you see them driving up in a golf cart, right? <laughs> no, they, they flew someplace. They're going to fly back, and they're going to land, and they're going to come back through the gate and in like manner. That, that means in the same way that they left, they're going to come back. In the same way Jesus left, He's going to come back. So the return of Jesus will, first of all, be literal. It's going to be a real thing. This is not some spiritual, figurative, symbolic um, kind of a, a return. This is a literal Jesus returning in all of His glory. In Revelation 1-7, it says, Behold, He's coming with clouds. There's that word again. And every eye will see Him, even they who pierced Him. So, not only is this a literal event, Jesus is coming back literally, but it's also a visible event. Everyone's going to see it. In Matthew 24, 30, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they 
will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Why do they mourn? Because they're not ready. There's no need to mourn. If, if you're waiting for Jesus to return, there's no need to mourn, but they're, they're mourning. But, but keep in mind what it says. It says that it's coming with power and great glory. It's adding to our picture here. And then Matthew 24, 27, for as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. I grew up in Kentucky, and we do not have these fiddly little rain showers that Washington has. You know why people don't um, walk around with umbrellas in Washington? Because it doesn't really rain here. Yeah. You do not walk around with an umbrella in Kentucky. If you walk around, I mean, without an umbrella. If you walk around without an umbrella in Kentucky, you will be wet to your core. Because it, 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 like they're great drops of, of rain that fall. They're like, like a whole cup in one drop is what it feels like sometimes. But, but you don't, uh, it's not like it's cloudy and, you know, just kind of nondescript grayness like it is here sometimes. And then, and then it's like, oh, it's kind of misty out. It's not like that. You hear it. And you see lightning flashing across the sky and coming down. Sometimes it's really close, and you've probably heard close lightning. Um, but, but when it's right there, like half a mile away, there is no distance between the lightning and the sound of the thunderclap. Uh, you, of course, know the science behind this, right? The, the lightning is so hot. It's like 5,000 degrees or something like this. And so it goes through the air, and it, and it superheats the air. And, and then when it disappears, it uh, gets compressed by all of the cold air around it, and it smashes together so hard that it claps. And the farther away you are, the longer it takes to hear that clap. And if the lightning is at an angle, then you hear it rolling over a long period of time. It's a lot of fun, and you can see a storm coming from a long way off in Kentucky. And you know that you should probably, um, you should probably get in your, your house, um, protect things, etc. That's nice. Jesus says that His coming is going to be like the lightning that flashes from the east to the west. And if you've been in a lightning storm, you know that you could even close your eyes and still see the lightning. It could be the middle of the day and you still see the lightning. Jesus is coming in a way that is going to be unmistakable. No one will miss Jesus coming. It's going to be a very visual event. So literal and visible. No way to miss this. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 to 17 says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. By, that, by the way, that, that phrase, caught up, is the meaning of rapture. So we will be raptured right there, together with them into the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Uh, everybody that uh, is following Christ is going to be taken up into heaven in the middle of the air, meeting him there in the clouds with the angels. It's going to be an awesome event. So literal, visible, but it also has this, this added component. That particular verse is really loud. He's shouting and he's got a trumpet. I should have brought my trumpet, shouldn't I? You don't want to hear me play it. I had braces, and I haven't practiced much since then. Maybe Jerry could play the trumpet. <laughs> Trumpets are kind of loud, aren't they? If you don't have a musician who's learned control over volume, um, i.e. a kid learning to play, uh, it's, it can be really kind of annoying, um, the loudness of that, especially if you're in a small house. 
I am really grateful for the patience of my mother, who uh, worked with me as I learned the trumpet when I was a kid. Jesus is coming with a trumpet that's going to be far greater and far more glorious than anything I could play. And, and just imagine, uh, anybody like to watch the Super Bowl? I like to watch the commercials. Um, they're fun. But uh, you know that, that show in the middle, what's it called, the halftime show? And often in the halftime show, they come out with like fireworks exploding and beautiful displays and all these really neat, uh, I don't know, gizmos that they're standing on, the stages and stuff that they build that rise and fall and move and separate and twist and all kinds of weird stuff. And, and they've got lights and they've got like these, these um, thunderous rhythms and these soaring melodies. They don't have anything on what God's going to show us. It's going to be a fabulous show that's going to thrill our hearts. In Psalm 50, verse 3, Our God shall come and shall not keep silent. A fire shall devour before Him, and it shall be very tempestuous all about Him. So not only is it going to be literal and visible and audible, it's going to be glorious. When it says a fire, have you ever looked at the sun? Did you know the sun is a fire a big ball of fire. But it's so, so powerful, so much energy there that you can't stare at the sun. It's too bright to look at. I, I think that's going to kind of be what we're talking about with Jesus. He comes with such glory that it's like a fire burning around him, like, like a sun burning around him. What a wonderful thing to look forward to. Th this picture can't do it justice. And yet, it's, it's a beautiful, hopeful thing. We don't know exactly when Jesus is going to come, but there are signs that help us to understand the time frame, the period of, of time near Jesus' second coming. And, and it's when we see these signs that we can be sure that Jesus' return is very near. Matthew 24 is one of those chapters that describes a lot of these signs. And in verse 42 to 44, it says, "'Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming.'" You don't know exactly when, so watch. It's not saying uh, you don't know when, and so ignore it, just let it happen. It might be a long time from now. No, it's, it says watch. Well, what's a watchman do? They stay alert, right? You, you don't want a watchman to fall asleep on the job because then they wouldn't see what was happening. And, and the, the, in this case, exciting thing would be missed. And then verse 43, but know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed the house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now, this idea of a thief, some people think that Jesus is going to come and we, we can't know when. We, we'd have no idea, so it's just going to happen. It's going to be like, oh, surprise, here I am. And, and he's going to come in secretly. Um, in a way that we, don't, we, we won't even realize. In fact, he might have come yesterday and we wouldn't have known. And that's, that's not what the Bible presents. It's so glorious, so obvious. It's, it's going to be clear that Jesus has come when he, when he does. But it's also going to be uh, possible for us to understand. We need to watch and be ready and, and see what the signs are, are telling us. Do you hear about the guy in, uh, I think it was Alaska Airlines, flying out of Seattle, he, he, he fell asleep in the luggage compartment. I think it's fair to say he wasn't watching. He, he, he was piling stuff in, and, and that's not a very big space. 
Um, I guess he's, he found some uh, duffel bag that was really comfy, and he decided to take a quick break, and uh, they, they closed the door, and the pilot took off, and uh, that's when he woke up. And he started beating on the floor and, uh, and shouting and trying to get people's attention, and the passengers, they told the, the, the uh, stewardess, and the stewardess told the pilot, and the pilot, the pilot turned the plane around and landed again and let, let him out. That is not the way that we want to, to, to experience Jesus' second coming. We don't want to fall asleep and, and then realize, oh my, it just happened. This is not good. We want to watch. We want to be ready. 1 Thessalonians 5.2 says, For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Now, a lot of people think that this second coming of Jesus is, you know, that Jesus' coming itself will be like a thief. But, but this doesn't really say that, does it? It says that the day will come as a thief. And, and it, it doesn't come as a thief for everyone because the, um, the command is to watch. Some people will be aware and others will be surprised. God doesn't want us to experience that surprise. He wants us to be like, look, it's happening. This is exciting. Look, here is our God. 2 Peter 3.10 says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. This is not going to be a surprise. Imagine a thief coming to your house in the middle of the night and blowing a trumpet and turning on a big light into your windows and shouting really loud, I'm here! <laughs> Would that be a very effective thief? No. No. The, the question isn't about... Uh, how Jesus will come. The question is about our readiness. That's when it's talking about this thief in the night idea. Are we ready? Matthew 24, 36 to 42, um, it says this, but of the day and hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, but my Father only. As the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days of Noah before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. This, uh, in Noah's day, you had some people that were saved, and, and they were the ones that were left over. Just an interesting thought there. And then there were some people that were taken by the flood, and they were lost. Um, this is a, a really kind of a sad passage. It's more of a, an anecdote here about the, the, the sadness of loss uh, than it is about um, the, uh, the timing or whatever of Jesus' second coming. You think about the two women. We don't know if they were sisters or friends or just working together for some reason. We don't know who they were. All we know is that, that in the same circumstances, two men in the field, two women at the grinding stone, in the same circumstance, one took advantage of the opportunity uh, and, and the other did not take advantage of the opportunity. One was, was lost and one was saved. One was taken and one was left. The Bible doesn't... Um, the Bible doesn't give us all the details. It does give us this idea. There will be people who have made a choice. Given the same opportunities that others have, they will make a choice to not be ready. And then there will be other people that will be watching, given the same opportunities in life, and they will be ready. 
Some will be lost and some will be saved. This, this isn't God's plan. God does not want anybody to be lost, but He gives us the freedom to choose and the opportunity to be ready or not be ready. What, what is that opportunity? The opportunity is to know Jesus, to give your heart to Him, to connect with Him, to enjoy spending life in the light of His presence. The opportunity is to have a relationship with Jesus. We're not doomsday clock watchers expecting the world to end with catastrophe and without hope. We're expecting the world to end with our blessed Redeemer, our blessed hope, seeing our friend coming back in the clouds. Not everybody is looking forward to that day, though, and so there will be people that will cry for the rocks to fall on them, and then there will be others who will say, this is our God. We have waited for Him, and He will save us. Speaking of waiting, though, some people think that the second coming is kind of like uh, waiting for a bus. You know how you're sitting there waiting? Anybody wait for a bus? In, in all of your life, you've waited for? Okay. My wife and I were in Seattle, and we thought it'd be cool to take the bus. And the, anyway, we bought like an all-day pass. And, uh, and we got to the train, and we found out that uh, our all-day pass did not work for the train, even though it said it did. It was like some routes it would work for, but the one we needed, it didn't work for. And uh, so we went back to, to pay for another pass to get on the train, and the train left. And it was the last train of the day. There was no more bus there, no more, no more train coming, and so we had to take an Uber. Um, which was kind of fun. But, but imagine you're sitting there on the, on the stand or whatever, and you're waiting for the bus, and you fall asleep. And the bus comes, people get on, the bus goes. You wake up, and you're like, oh, no, the bus left. And then you look at the schedule, and you're like, oh, it'll be here in another 30 minutes. I, I can wait. There's another one coming. And some people kind of think that the second coming is like that, that Jesus will come, and, and there will be a secret rapture where you know, just people disappear, and then there's going to be a period of time, and it's not going to be pretty, but, but people can be saved during that time, and Jesus will come again, a third time, I guess, and, and He's going to take other people to heaven or something like this. But the Bible doesn't say that. It says, as in the days of Noah, was there a second ark? No. There was lots of opportunity for a second chance. Every day that Noah preached, there is another chance. And that's the case for us today. We have a second chance. We have a second chance this morning. When, when we woke up and we saw the sun, if you had not given your heart to Jesus, Jesus was saying with the new day, here's another chance for you to get to know me, to give your heart to me, and to fall in love with me. I am here. I am ready. Let's do this. We have lots and lots and lots and lots of chances. But as we talked about yesterday, there's this time of investigation, and then Jesus comes with His reward to give to all those who love Him, and, and, and then punishment as well. The judgment is finished when Jesus comes. Our opportunities have ended when Jesus comes. There'll be two groups of people. There'll be the one that say, we have waited for you, Jesus, and, and we are excited that you're here. And then that other group that, that don't know Jesus personally. I, I personally would like to be part of the first group. 
How about you? I'd like to be there hopefully waiting for Jesus to, to return. And no matter what's happening around me, and, and the Bible does say that there's going to be a time of trouble that, that's never been in all of earth's history, and it's not going to be pretty. But our focus doesn't need to be on that because the promise is that God will save us through that. And, and as my wife says, I can endure anything for 10 weeks. <laughs> that was after she did a, a, a summer of, of door-to-door sales. <laughs> We can endure those things with Christ. Whatever it is that comes our way, we can endure it as long as we have our hope fixed on Jesus. It's, it's when we have no hope and there is no relationship with Christ, that's when there's some worry. If you want to know where it is, Isaiah 25, 9, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for Him and He will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for Him. We will be glad and rejoice in His salvation. That's the second coming, rejoicing joy, gladness. I want to tell you a story about a girl named Zephanie. She was born to a couple in South Africa, and while her mom was sleeping with her in her arms in the nursery, she was abducted. A lady had been watching, um, Joy Nurse, no, something Nurse, I forget the the first name, but uh, a lady had been watching for an opportunity, and she saw an opening where people weren't watching, and she stole a kid. And And that was the last they saw of her, until their second daughter was 15 years old and was going to a high school in their town as a freshman. And and the uh, people in the the high school were like, you look just like so-and-so in in the senior class. And so she met her, and she's like, I do look a lot alike. And and it happened that they invited her over uh, to her house, and her parents were like, I think this is Zephanie. And, And they ended up with their daughter back again. They hadn't seen her since, since the birth. Now, they had prepared the room before the birth, and they left it that way. And every year, they marked her birth with a, a birthday party. And every year, they hoped, maybe this is the year, maybe this is the time, maybe we'll see her again. 17 years went by before they saw her again, but she did come back. You know, we are looking for the return of our Lord. And it might be that we look and we long and we wait and we wonder, when will Jesus come back? But I want to assure you that no matter how long it is, the time is not that far off, but no matter how long it is, He will return. It will happen. And the question is, will you be waiting and watching Will you take this time where God delays because of His love for you, because of His long-suffering patience, where He wants us to be saved, will you take this opportunity to get to know Jesus? I hope you do. And I, I am confident that you'll be with Jesus in heaven.